welcome to this Drum Network podcast. I'm Nikki McMorrow, the head of the Drum Network, and I have four brilliant agency leaders with me today, brand strategy heroes. We're going to have a conversation about brand strategy for the real world. So, Andrew, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Andrew Sullivan. I am EMEA Creative Director for Transmission Agency. We're a full service agency end to end. Um, and I guess my involvement in strategy is, is connecting the strategy to the creative output. So how can we take the wonderful insights that our strategists all devise um, and then turn it into something real? Excellent. Dave? Hello, everyone. Uh, yeah, I'm Dave Jones. I'm head of strategy at True. We are an independent marketing and technology agency based in Bristol. Um, slightly differently to Andrew, I tend to get right in the early phases of a brand strategy project with shaping the research, understanding the insight we need to gain, trying to understand the competitive context and, um, yeah, turn that into a, a compelling brand. Ah, that's brilliant. So we have an end user and also a, a sort of initiator. Gokchi. Hi all, I'm, I'm Gokchi. I'm the head of strategy and insight at Zone Digital, which is a part of the um, Cognizant technology and we're under the digital experience practice. Um, we get involved in the brand strategy at the vision setting, but also all the way through the execution and um, mostly building strategies in a human centric and experience led way. And we can get involved in different ways through reimagining or optimizing customer experiences, employee experiences, and also building new products or services or helping our clients build new products or services. Excellent. Thank you. And Jennifer? Yes, I'm Jen Pine. I am the group brand director at Radley Eldar, which is um, a large, independent, integrated communications um, creative agency in London and Birmingham. My role, I oversee, well, I'm a strategist by trade, um, much like Dave and, and, and Gotcha, um, but I oversee all the work that we do uh, in terms of brand campaign and employee experience. And what I mean by oversee is I'm really working across the agency. So I am working directly with creative teams um, and the executional teams across the business to sort of talk about how we go to market and uh, do great work for clients fundamentally. Excellent. Um, well, that's that's a really good spread. Um, so what we're talking about here as well is is brands. Um, so obviously the client is, you know, incredibly important in this conversation. Um, you know, a brand isn't that easy to build in 2023. It's all got a bit complicated. Um, how how do we keep our customers coming back, um, even to the most established names? Um, so. Uh, we thought we'd have a, a bit of a uh, an introduction chat um, to say well, what are we what what is the what are the key elements of a brand strategy in this day and age? First element for a a brand strategy is having an informed opinion about where growth will come from. So it's understanding um, whether you're going to bring new customers to a category or whether you're going to take market share off of off, off an existing player and it's go it, it starts off with that right where what's the competitive context what's the situation in the market and where do you think growth can come from and i think if you get if you have a clear position on that and you you understand where you think you can win then everything else that i'm sure we'll talk about in terms of target audiences and personas and positioning and manifestos it all comes from that sort of initial judgment as to where you think you can play and where you think you can win 
Yeah, and I suppose when we're then executing on that strategy itself, um, obviously the creative end of that, it's, you know, differentiation is is obviously the thing that we're looking for um, across the board. Um, and the articulation of that differentiation is the bit which is the really interesting part because I think often what we see with brands who are trying to differentiate themselves, um, it, it often... Um, it often feels like they want to be bold or they want to be controversial or loud in order to sort of cut through. Whereas in many cases, and we've certainly seen it with some of our clients, um, disruption can sometimes be being quieter or being more subtle. Um, it might be um, the strategy that we use to then realize where that gap is um, and when then we'll exploit that and we'll really use that to its full potential, whether that is um, a certain line of thinking or a certain purpose, but we will definitely look for the the sort of road least, least trodden, I suppose. Just to build on that, I think it's also having like clear brand values and having a purpose and having a stand and also just like staying true to your core values. I think there's a lot of jargon out there, and I know that's kind of a controversial thing for a brand strategist to say, um, but you all know it's true. You know, we, we all have different clients who sometimes there's a mission and there's a vision and, there, you know, there's purpose, there's personality, there's essence. There's, there are all these words, um, and every agency has a different model. Um, and to be honest, I think particularly the type of clients that I work with, often that's very overwhelming. Um, and it, it's almost like we start to speak a language that like real people don't understand. <laughs> um, the, the approach that we've sort of developed at our why and that I try and take is based just on three simple questions. Who you are, what you do, and why you exist. And I think, yes, we can layer those back to some like tenets of brand strategy from there. So, you know, things like personality and proposition and purpose, which is very important and sort of fiscally very important for a lot of companies as well. But I think... If a client can answer those questions, we're in a good starting place. And if they can't, we got some work to do. So I almost use that as a bit of a, a diagnostic. Yeah, I think just building on that, Jennifer. I think um, if I if I could just build on that, I think there is um, there's a really interesting role for strategy as well as far as making the best possible um, work that we can make. Because you know, we transmission. We just um, published a, a report about the CMO CFO divide. Um, and and often it's strategy, which is the part that can help the board to really buy into a unique strategy to then give us the freedom, certainly creatively, to execute on a campaign that otherwise we might struggle to sell through at the higher levels of the business. So the strategy can play a really important role um, in sort of north starring what we're aiming at, and then we have that proof uh, behind it, which we can then use to then create more interesting, engaging creative work. I think there's also an important distinction, um, Jen, you talked about, you know, who we are and what we do and like the values-based stuff. Like you say, you get a vision and mission and values quite often. And I think sometimes that can be confusing, particularly when it comes through to marketing teams, that a lot of that stuff is really, really valuable from a an internal company culture and buy-in and getting everybody energized and motivated around what you're trying to achieve as a business. But then how many of your customers care about like 90% of that is really, really limited. And so understanding the difference between the, the idea that's going to spark everything and then how you translate that into something that's actually a customer-facing proposition that people might care about I think that that 
that can be a blurry line that sometimes trips people up a little bit too. It is a bit of a battle, isn't it? And I think that as well, like we inherit a lot from our clients and various reasons, often political and historical. You can't change certain elements of that, even if they're not great. Um, so I think a lot of my job sometimes is to make sense of that. Um, and, and to Dave's point, find a way to like, okay, if you want to win with audience X, how, what, what do we do with this and, 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 and where do we put it? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, the, one of the things I'm picking up as well is the vision and the mission and the values. It all has to be so, so clear and almost so simple. The onlooker might perhaps mistakenly perceive that this, this is just easy why would I need to outsource this? Um, I mean, at, at what point do you, do you often get a client coming to outsource brand work to you? Um, is it before they even start and they just know they need your guidance? Or is it after they've had a go and then realised it's actually quite difficult to do this simple? Um, I think the audience may be very interested to hear at what point they should consider coming to you. It's a great question. And I think there is no certain point. We have a mix and match of people coming in at the very beginning, at the execution point, where they find out that maybe they couldn't operationalize on some of the key things, key vision elements that they have defined. Sometimes um, there's the bit that they have done all the homework around research and audience and the information is there but when it turns into making the strategy in a little bit more tangible way they might need help like bridge that gap between the high level strategy into the day-to-day -day execution so i think we find every kind of different color in the spectrum um, at different points it depends on the maturity of the client as well and um, sometimes they're a lot more mature in digital, sometimes they're not, and they already have a very, clear, a very clear strategy and a vision, but maybe they don't know how to implement it in digital. And again, maybe they do, but maybe they don't have the resources. It can be anything. I think it, like exactly like you say, um, a lot of it depends on the maturity of the client and where they're at in their own business sort of cycle. So quite often if you work with smaller businesses or founder-led businesses, the brand comes through them and it's and it's almost their personality made manifest within a business. And that works whilst you've got a founder or, or, or you know, a motivating energy behind a business like that. But then there comes a point of scale or maybe the founder steps away or, you know, the business enters a new phase and suddenly you've got to have rules around this thing. You've got to have some consistency. You've, you've got to be more strategic because you don't have, you know, that same kind of, um, you know, human driving it all. And, and that's when I think it helps to bring in an agency or an outside perspective to start to formalize some of that stuff. Well, I think on that, and I think probably a lot of the people listening to this too will <clears throat> sympathize with the, the point I'm about to make, which is um, we've all probably tried to, de to design our own strategies for our own businesses, so our own agencies or however it might be. And I'm pretty sure everyone will be nodding their head when I say it's chaos because you're trying, all of you trying to layer into this uh, this one single message and what ends up happening is everything gets so filtered into this really generic place where it's almost unarguable what you get to because everyone has a say. So having an outside agency come in to consult on what that can be, you can almost pass that 
that responsibility onto an outside view. And when you have that ability, you can sort of introvertly look at your own business and, and look at what someone else sees. And sometimes you can get to a much more poignant answer, a much more significant answer when you're not trying to do it yourself because you know it's very very difficult to um to try and analyze yourself so critically from the inside it, very very difficult to do so that's where i would always suggest to 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 get an agency to come in and help my build on that is that i mean radley elder is an integrated agency creative agency as are um several of the other reps on on the phone coming from those kinds of agencies i think <laughs> I think the clients that go straight to like a brand agency, a solo brand agency, they're already there, right? Um, a lot of the work that I see, not all of it, but a lot of it comes through different parts of the business where maybe we have someone in Gokcha, I'm sure you're, you're familiar with this. They'll come to us and they'll be like, we need a new website, we need to redo all the copy on the website, we need to kind of redo our story on the website. Okay, cool. <laughs> well, what do you want to say? <laughs> Oh, we're not sure. <laughs> okay, well, wh what's going on with your business? Uh, actually, it's all changed. Uh, do you have any, like, of these kind of, do you, do, do you have any sort of core messages about the business or, like, who's your target? Oh, that's changed too. And so, actually, it, it, I find a lot of the time it's something that comes about a bit organically. It's like, wait a minute, you can't actually do that until you know what you want to say and who you want to say it to and why and, like, what the objectives are. Um, and actually, you've got a bit of, a, you've got a, bit of a, a brand challenge that needs some unpicking there. And sometimes I think that, especially depending on the stakeholder you're dealing with on the client side, sometimes I think they kind of know that. But given the politics and the hierarchies internally at the client, they can't just be like, we need, a, we need to redo our brand. <laughs> they can't do that. They almost need, to, to Andrew's point, you need that sort of hired gun coming in objectively and going, until you can tell me X, Y, and Z, I can't do this executional bit or it won't make sense. I also think like, the, 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 and uh, this is kind of a point we can come back to later, but it's a good diagnostic about whether you need a, kind of a, some brand work done if you look at your executional elements of, of a brand, whether that's their social media, their website, could be sales collateral, could be you know high impact stuff. And if, if you look at it all and the messages don't make sense and they don't line up and you, know, you, you actually don't know who it's from if you took the logo away, those are sort of good diagnostics to kind of take a step back. And I, that would be my advice to clients, have a look from an outsider's perspective, because it might be different than what, <laughs> what your impressions are internally. I love, love what you're saying, because it is about consistency and longevity um, and repetition and reaching the audience um, in a regular way. Not necessarily about having the most exciting brand or having the most beautiful brand, but having a brand that stands up. <laughs> um, so maybe it's time to sort of move on to like, how do we actually go about doing this then? Um, the sort of second part of this conversation is it's all great to have a strategy, but how do you go about executing it? Um, I mean, do you have any, uh, does any, any of you have any great examples of brands who do it incredibly well? Can, can I talk about a recent one? Yes. Just for fun. Haven't seen it yet. Barbie. <laughs> oh my God, Barbie. <laughs> And, and the point I want to make about Barbie, and I think, I think that it's a good example, an excellent example of like a historic brand that has a lot of context, that is iconic, that has found a way to make itself relevant again. Um, you know, you can talk about licensing 
away creative control, really, to kind of fresh, modern personalities, branded content. Um, you can talk about the brand elements, like the color and the font, and actually it won't say Barbie and you'll know it's Barbie. And you can talk about how that brand, haven't seen the film yet, but I get the gist, has really cleverly tried to shed some of the negative historic perceptions of the brand to be relevant again, because you could say a lot of bad things <laughs> about Barbie and the message that it sends to children, at least the Barbies that I grew up with. Um, but they found a way to sort of cleverly, and for Mattel to do that is, I mean, you could say incredibly brave. You could say maybe it's out of desperation because up until this, who bought Barbies anymore? Um, but yeah, that's my really fun one. Uh, yeah, I can build on that with a similar-ish one, actually, that I've been a big fan of. Um, I don't know if any of you are cricket fans at all, um, but um, I am a big admirer of a new format called The 100, who, I don't know, I saw, Andrew, I saw you nod your head, but cricket, a bit like Barbie, I suppose, has historically not got a great reputation in some ways. It's seen as very male, very rural, bit upper class, very boring, to be honest, and not something that appealed to a huge number of people, and particularly young people. And in the same way that Barbie has had to change the way that it um, communicates and the way it appears to sort of be fit for 2023, the, 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 the 100 was a new format from the ECB, that's the English Cricket Board, um, to try and make it um, more relevant. So they went right from the way the game actually works they simplified it so you don't have all this obscure jargon it's faster they've brought in a new color palette they've like they've put women's game and men's game on the same stage so they're double headers they've given away cheap family tickets everything about it is completely different to the very stale rural version of cricket which has gone before so i i would say they did an excellent job with a tricky brief on that one that is a really good example my example is probably one that's a little bit more kind of um, bit real. I mean, those are two brilliant examples. Um, I mean, certainly, certainly the Barbie stuff. I mean, you know, one does have to question that they do have the the, the luxury of exorbitant budgets, um, <laughs> which they can work with. Which I think we would all we would all um, love to have a crack at working with those those kind of budgets. I mean, one one I'm gonna I'm gonna plug a client of ours if I don't if you don't mind, but um, one of our one of our newer clients, a company called Infuse in FinTech. Um, they are a Finnish company. Um, and we've, we've done a whole rebranding exercise with them, which has been utterly refreshing in the sense that the whole process has been about them being laser focused on being authentic to who they are. And it, it's a, it's brought about this, this really lovely positioning, which I think mentioned, as I mentioned earlier, around, <clears throat> around um, being authentic, but also um, being a differentiating, but being really confident in it. And we're, we're designing this campaign with them, which is about where happiness is built in. And it was all based off of the fact that uh, Finland was voted the, for the seventh year in a row, the happiest place on earth. And working with them, it really just it, it bleeds out of them. Um, and so everything that we've done, we, we've, we've absolutely zagged away from anything that you'd see in fintech. Um, and we're building this this really refreshing campaign, which is just being so true to that one single thing. And in fintech, it's just as I was saying about differentiation. It's just it's how do you stand out in a really crowded market? And you know, we've all heard it individually, but you know, just be yourself. 
be exactly who you are and take that as your strategy and you can never really fail um, to stand out because no one else is like you. Um, and so as far as strategy goes, that's that's one particularly that, that, yes, we've been working on recently, but has stood out to me as something which has just been laser focused on this is who we are and we're just going to deliver on it wholeheartedly. That's really nice. The clarity of vision is uh, key. Gokte. Oh, sorry. I'm just going to give um, Nike as an example. I know it's a very old brand and like it's kind of familiar to everyone. Feels like it's not doing anything very much groundbreaking breaking just like barbie and ken kind of thing but it's a very consistent brand and i think it's one of the ones that stays true to their tagline and mission and everything that say about the brand and they really do a really good job executing it in physical and digital and also they're like all about empowerment when you think about their campaigns like um woman empowerment teenager empowerment um that's that's a really good point around the authenticity and um showing what brand stands for all across but also if you think about like the flagship that they have in new york they're like now all about physical experiences you can go in and just like do a couple of dunks play basketball keep a score they gamified it so they're shifting the thinking um from just going into a store and buying something to experiencing the brand. Um, of course, in the background, it's all about buying it in the end, but then they wrap it all around the different touch points that you have in the flagship store across the digital touch points that you have serving kind of for you within your journey. Like you said, I don't know, the, 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 the challenge is always like sticking to those principles and the values and the laser focus, but then having to work out what that looks like in a billion different environments and, and how you tailor that so that it makes sense in a real place or on a, you know, on a website or wherever. I think that's, that's the challenge across the board. I have to ask, um, as you are all brand strategy heroes, um, what your view is of the recent Twitter rebrand? <laughs> I don't know if we could say anything that has already been said. <laughs> I mean, it's been done at speed uh, and with clarity of vision, right? Look, I mean, as far as I can see, it's been really successful. Um, and, and I think, you know, whether that is uh, whether that is because of good or bad reasons, I, d I don't know whether it's fair to judge. I mean, it's a it's a. I mean, it's a hell of a rogue strategy. Um, and look, Twitter was m massively on the downturn compared to all of the social media applications and various other things. So something had to be done. Um, would it have been that? Oh, who knows? But I mean, certainly as a creative, I'm someone who looks at something and says, if it's the most unexpected thing you can think of, it's probably quite right. So, you know, all, all power to them, I suppose. I, I think it's one of those things that in five years' time, we're going to look back and have a case study around it, which direction it goes. As what to learn from or what to copy? <laughs> That's what we'll see in five years, <laughs> I can't say. <laughs> I would say that I, I, I feel like um, it feels a bit half-hearted at the moment. Like it feels like it's a logo and a name. Like you, 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 the rest of the environment of logging in still kind of feels like Twitter. It's still the same 
you still got the same little birdhouse home icon and, and you've still got the same colors it, it, it doesn't really feel like a rebrand yet it feels like a like, yeah. a, new, like a new logo yeah, I think that like what principles, like personality, all of that stuff that, you know, you know, we can mock it. But if you can't describe it at this point, it, it, it remains to be seen. I, I think it's become more of like a cultural moment than a bit of brand work. If that makes sense. And maybe to, to Andrew's point, maybe that's a great thing for them. Um, but arguably, do you, do you want to be the laughing stock? Do you want other brands to kind of piggyback? Maybe. Um I'm really curious to see how it actually begins to live and breathe because they've sort of done it now, haven't they? <laughs> yeah. Um, and and I, I guess going back to your point earlier, Dave, like talk about talk about just being the founder's personality. It's like normally that's something that is quite organic that they've kind of conceived of and created, and it's their baby. And this is just you know one egomaniac's acquisition gone wild, right? So. What a time to be alive. <laughs> if you could get your hands on any brand, which brand would you love to be able to work on for the rebrand? We'll just put it out there into the universe because you never know. They might come to you. I just think for me, there are, and I don't know how everyone else feels, but for me, there are a load of brands as a student and a lover of advertising since I can remember um, there are so many brands that used to be the kind of pinup for just amazing work and ideas and, and writing and, and everything. And, you know, and I'm thinking of, you know, things like Audi and even Honda and those kind of things that used to make some of the most iconic ads of our time. And now I, it, they, they just seem to have sort of all started to become very vanilla and it, it's, I'd love to just, you know, get my hands on one of those brands and sort of bring it and work on what it used to be like that the kind of, and I don't mean just the, the, the pretty ads. I mean, the strategy behind them and the thinking that went behind them and the positioning and everything that went with it. Um, any of those brands are any of those brands that have kind of lost their way from the sort of Hassian days of advertising. I'd just love to work on just to sort of have a go at, you know, have a go at writing some VW ads from the, from the sixties, you know, bring those back. Um, gosh, I haven't thought about this question until just now. Uh, so we did some work um, a couple of years ago for a subsidiary of the WWF called, um, at the time, the Luke Hoffman Institute, which we rebranded, renamed into um, an NGO called the Unorthodox, which solving big sustainability problems and, and was a really cool brand to work on. I would love to take the WWF master brand and, and any, anything in the like sustainability conservation space and rethink it because what the WWF was growing up, you know, saving animals, they do so much more than that now. Um, and I think that their story is so much more relevant, not only to the average individual who cares about know, extinction, but also to all of the businesses who have massive impact um, kind of on our, on our natural environment and uh, climate change and, and so forth. So I, I would love to do some work with them. If you're listening. <laughs> I'll make sure they do. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone else got any examples there? I would, I would like to look at, um, I would like to rebrand the bicycle. I feel like as as a as a single object, it's probably 
unlock so many of the meaty challenges that you've talked about, Jennifer, Jennifer, in terms of sustainability and how we get around and personal health and mental well-being and air pollution. And yet everybody hates them. Everybody hates them. Yeah, I was going to say there's such a dirty underbelly of the the cyclist, isn't there? They are the most maligned people in the world and yet should be the key to unlocking so much. So if anyone needs a kind of reframing, it's cyclists. So yeah, any bike brands want to give us a shout, we'd love to work with you. So is it, is it, just to be clear, is it the bicycle or the cyclist? It's that the we need cy- to the cyclist. I think people kind of admire bikes. They like cyclist. bikes. It's the cyclist. Okay. Yeah. I could rebrand the cyclist. <laughs> oh, um, this is brilliant. So uh, what makes a great relationship with a, with a client? I mean, you've already mentioned um, your Finnish client. Uh, I mean, having a happy client must be a really great start. But going a little bit deeper than that, what makes a great agency-client relationship when it comes to these branding projects yeah well i mean in infuse infuse is a business and that sort of finnish nature and their culture is incredibly refreshing to work with anyway because they're they're very blunt uh they don't beat around the bush um but they also trust well so they they look to us for um for answers then they won't just take any anything you know there's there's nothing worse than having a client who will just say yes to everything you do. You need a bit, you need a bit of reining in sometimes, you know, because you can get a bit carried away. But the relationship is really good. I mean, I, and I, I imagine lots of people will say the same, but it's that really good balance between <clears throat> ambition and uh, trustworthiness um, and also a challenging nature. You know, um, you start these relationships off on a really good foot and you and you maintain that, you know, they're okay to challenge us, we're okay to challenge them. That is part of what we do because we know that we're both aiming at the same output. Um, you know, we, we even we even talk between us and the client about um, what awards we're gonna go for with this work, how we're gonna push this to be best practice. You know, how are we going to create newsworthy things about how we're gonna make this brand stand out? And, you know, when you're all on that same single ambition and vision, it makes the work challenging, but always comes up with a better result. And, and it's just a really refreshing relationship to work in. Um, you know, we can't get away with anything, um, but similarly, we won't let them just get away with um, average. So um, yeah, that's where the relationship really key. And, and all of the best work I've ever worked on has had exactly the same kind of um, premise, both sides. So yeah mutual respect honesty um gotcha i'm just gonna say mutual understanding exactly from an agency or a consultancy perspective it's about going back to what we talked about in the beginning understanding the maturity of the client understanding their ecosystem how they can operate like what they can operate on um because sometimes we have a tendency um to be at light speed and just like be very ambitious and aim for a very very far out north star but even the best strategy will just like stay in a cloud drive if you cannot execute it so it's really important to understand how fast your client can go and how you can support them in getting to the point that you want to get. Um, And also I think one of the very important points is um, 
having that accountability from the client side because if they are engaging with an agency with a consultancy they want us to support them they probably want to innovate they want to refresh they want to renew so they're relying on our experience but also we're relying on how they operate their knowledge their expertise in their own area so they need to really collaboratively work on the outcomes and own it and because on projects you work with um, a small audience from your clients so they need to be kind of like the catalysts in the business in a way to spread what you come up with together so that you have enough buy-in and then you can just like move on to the next steps to make it tangible and executionable in a way yeah 100% someone who's going to champion the work and own it and take responsibility for it on their side because it's quite scary work for clients I think sometimes to make big decisions about how you look and how you behave and if they don't sell if they don't champion it even in your immediate team then you've got no chance of of that actually starting to become its own thing and get its own momentum and its own its own life so yeah I would absolutely agree with you gotcha I don't. I don't know if there's much I can say that hasn't already been said. I think. I think for me, the most the most important thing is trust. But that's like it, that hasn't changed. You know that that's been a thing for a long time. Trust on both sides. But I guess the other thing I would add is just like being up for it. Like, and I know we talked about ambition, but just like, yeah, I'm ready to like change this, and 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 I'm brave enough to do it. And I think that that goes part and partial with everything we've talked about. So that is that championing on the other side, but agencies feed off of that energy. So you're going to get the best kind of strategy and creative work from clients who are like, no, like give me something I'm unexpected. That's really unexpected. And I think sometimes that's, that's, that's challenging. That's difficult. Those sometimes those are the clients that are the most difficult because it's very difficult to please them. But also in the end, that's usually the best work um, because they really drive it. So yeah, someone who's up for it. You also mentioned um, trust hasn't changed uh, for a while, but yeah. what has changed in the brand strategy process? I mean, uh, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, it was a different story or, or actually was the essence of it still the same? I mean, I, I, think, I think that the context has changed massively. Um, in terms of things like purpose and social impact and kind of the business climate in which these brands are, are operating in, social responsibility. That stuff isn't just these like nascent little things you capitalize on or it shouldn't be. It's this is necessary and it's almost table stakes to be addressing that stuff properly. Um, I Two things. I, I mean, I think um, in terms of uh, for, for clients, that sort of creative freedom of like crowdsourcing and kind of letting go of your brand governance a bit and kind of listening to your audiences, that is really different than it was where it was this sort of ivory tower where you build all your brand assets and nobody touch it and this is it. And it's a one-way channel. It's become much more two-way. I think for me internally, and I'd be interested to hear from Andrew on this part, I'm not sure how it works at his agency, but I think the relationship between strategy and creative is much closer and much more blurred. Um, at least I believe when it works well, it's less of a, you've written a brief, you hand off the brief, and then you say goodbye to the project as a strategist and you move on. It shouldn't be like that. It should be that your creative team is much more involved earlier on so that there isn't this aha moment with the inside. I'm talking about like agency shop stuff now, but 
the insight shouldn't be a surprise when you're breached, I don't think. I think the key point of the brand strategy is to influence the perception of people and create a connection between your brand and people. This key point hasn't changed. It will always be there. But the way that we create that perception, the way that we create the connections, they change drastically. Um, 30 years ago, we didn't have internet. Now we have digital brand agencies um, within the 10 years. I think one of the key things that changed for the consumers is the definition of the value. So like if you looked at how people defined value about 10 years ago, it was around convenience. Is it good for what? how much I pay for? Like, is it good value for me? But now it's expanded into a more planet-centric version. Is it is it good quality for me? But is it good for the others around in my community? Is it good for the planet? That's how you define the value. So it has expanded. So with anything that you do or you're considering for your brand strategy, you need to take these into account. That's how it feeds into being more authentic and transparent as a brand as well. I think all this um, kind of links quite nicely as well into governance. Um, you know, we've been talking about how it's a bit more of a two-way process now, which also means you're less in control of the outcome. Um, so what can you do? Like, what do you do as agencies to help a brand track whether it, a project is going as planned? I'm, I always, this only really is relevant for usually for B2C brands, which I don't certainly don't exclusively work on those. Um, I always recommend if a brand can afford it, Basie's research, um, because this is the best way to track brand perceptions effectively and adding things into the criteria, but you need to make sure you're adding a baseline in before you've done the work. Um, It takes a long time to move it. Um, I guess in terms of if that's not really your bag, um, you have to set objectives up front um, for, for, for what success looks like. Um, also, ideally, you still have an ongoing relationship <laughs> with your agencies. I, I think it's really hard because a lot of brand work is like a one and done thing, rightly or wrongly. Um, so uh, the, the measurement um, lives and dies by that. Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely measurement. There's, there's, no, there's no hiding from that. And I think, I think certainly... Um, certainly in, in the B2B world where, you know, budgets aren't quite as significant as the B2C world, um, it does become trickier. But, I mean, it is definitely our responsibility as agencies. You know, we we understand the effectiveness. We've seen it, we, but we need to be able to prove it um, and we need to be able to show um, show the effectiveness of it and the ROI, which is the big this big CMO-CFO divide, is the CFO wants to do this work. Um, but the, pro- the problem is, is we can't show them tangible evidence as to what it will do for their business. And, and so, you know, what we're, we're starting to do is brand health studies and various other things a bit to your point, Jennifer, where it's, it's, a, it, it's a way of trying to track perception and market share and various other things and do a kind of start and end um, and try and KPI ourselves against that. Um, because, you know, it's the stuff that as agencies we... We love working on it's what everyone in the agency you know is is the, the bit that gets them the most excited um but if we want to do more of it we've got to prove it we've got to prove that it's worth doing we've got to prove the the the, the roi and the value to a business um on it um, and as soon as we can do that the cfo will immediately open more of their purse right i mean they all they want to see is if i give you x i'll get y back so you know we need to we need to prove that to them and help the cmos to really build the case for brand and I think we still haven't quite cracked it yet um, but we're we're getting better we're getting a lot better at it but um, that's the, that's the big challenge 
Yeah, we, we try to have a um, an effectiveness or a measurement framework. You will always need to have some kind of commercial element to that. Like you say, there's going to be financial stakeholders that you've got to prove the value of what you're doing to. Um, we would also like this. It's easy. It's getting easier to get like quick and dirty measurement tools. So we rely a lot on share of search metrics now, and, and the branded search is a kind of a very quick, very instant um, way of tracking brand health. Um, but alongside the kind of traditional market research, survey-led perception stuff that you know that you've mentioned, Jennifer. So ideally, some kind of combination of of, of, of the lot that gives you a good picture. The, the thing I just want to add to that, though, Nikki, is like, clients don't like hearing this. <laughs> if we had a way to prove that we were what we we're going to doing would definitely work, we would have a license to print money. And so I think, yes, we need to have a thesis and a you know, and sometimes it's a, it's a proof that it needs to happen, like a bit like some of the diagnostic stuff I was mentioning earlier, like you need to do something because the messaging is clearly not clear in execution. Um, but there is a leap of faith that needs to happen on the client side. Um, and if you spend, you know, sometimes it, it, it could be that maybe there's a bit of test and learn. And like, this is a way that kind of this discipline has changed a lot um, in the last 20 years. So, well, let's throw some spaghetti at the wall and see if it sticks a bit. And in the digital space, there's A-B testing. There's, there's, there's lots of things that you can do to Dave's point to say, actually, it's tracking a bit better. Um, you kind of need to go for it. But I, I just want to make the point that as it stands now, if we could prove exactly a formula to, for making sure that this stuff works, we'd be out of jobs and robots would do it all for us. <laughs> <laughs> You, you can't you can't prove how it will work in advance, but you should be able to show how well it's worked in retrospect, right? So, you know, it's never, I totally agree there's a leap of faith for any kind of particularly brand work, which is harder to track than most other kinds of marketing. But you, you've got to be accountable, you know, six months, 12 months down the line. If you don't, if you can't, like you say, Andrew, if you can't say this, this looks like the impact we've created, then you, you that, that relationship's not going to last too long. <laughs> It's almost like taking a calculated risk and then with small intervals measuring, just like looking back how it worked and how it didn't. Almost like building an evolution plan, like because the brand's, brand strategy is becoming more like a living, breathing thing that you need to change and adapt to all of the changes that happen across you and the context changes and everything. So you need to build kind of like a mini framework to test, adapt and iterate according to uh, what you planned. Well, I mean, we've covered a lot in a very short space of time. Uh, we've gone from Barbie to the World Wildlife Fund to FinTech uh, to X um, and climate change uh, and, you know, quickly got to the point where the robots take over also. <laughs> but if, uh, if you could summarise uh, the main takeout for a, a marketer or a CMO who is listening to this podcast, if they're thinking about embarking on a brand strategy project and if they want to be a hero? For me, for me I think it is, um, it is having a, you know, being laser focused on a, on a far horizon of where you want a brand to go. Um, and all I would say is that a really good starting point for that is, is raw authenticity of a brand. Um, really dig into what is it that makes you you as a brand and then absolutely go 110% at that one thing. I would um, 
I suppose a lot of the brands you've just mentioned there, um, like the World Wildlife Fund and Barbie, it's consistency. It's knowing what you stand for and sticking by that for years or decades. And that's how you build up the equity and the value in it. Um, so not getting bored of it, not getting tired with it. Um, and that, like you say, Andrew, sticking true to what it is that you, you're about. From my side, is be authentic, just care, care about what you do at the core, care about the people that you serve, and take a leap of faith, um, just like trust that everything is chaos, but there is also order in chaos, so it's all going to settle. Um, for me, I think that doing brand work can seem really overwhelming, and a lot of the times it is. But my takeaway from this is it you should dip your toe. And there are ways to kind of gradually, to gotcha's point, it, it is dynamic, it is changing. And the way brand strategy used to be this kind of put it in a box and then don't look at it again for five years when just time has gone by. It shouldn't be like that. It doesn't have to be a revolution. It could be an evolution. Yes, that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Really I love that. Revolution, not evolution. That is the difference. Yeah. <laughs> um, this has been a Drum Network podcast with Zone and True Digital, Radley Eldar and Transmission. Thank you for listening. Yeah.